It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Ardeth Albi, best-selling author of e-marketing strategies for the complex sale and digital relevance, developing marketing content and strategies that drive results. And she's president of her own consulting firm, Marketing Interactions. And welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. So people might be wondering why we're talking so much about content marketing on a sales show, because you're not the first guest I've had to talk on on the show to talk about it. And we've had several experts in addition to you on the show. And my concern is, yeah, I want to make sure that the audience, companies in the audience that really can maximize the value of the content marketing they do, because it's such an important resource these days. And the way they do it is to involve sales in that process, how they involve sales to really serve the customer better, help the customer make good decisions quickly, is really the point of this conversation today. So, Ardith, again, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I look forward to talking about sales and content. Yeah, yeah. So take a minute and introduce yourself, please. I mean, a little bit fuller introduction, like a little personal background. Like, I love the idea that you uh, you do dog agility trials with your dog. That's I find that fascinating. I do. Well, I've always had Australian shepherds because I rode horses when I was a kid. And they're just so smart. You know, you have to keep them busy doing something. And agility seems to be the thing for Aussies that they're really good at. And Bella, my Australian shepherd currently, is just too smart for her own good. And she thinks she runs the household. So it's always good to put her through her paces with agility. And do you so actually do you compete with her? I don't. I don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm usually on a plane. So most of the time, it's my husband who's doing the agility with her. Got it. Got it. So tell us a little bit about your business. How'd you get to start your, your own company? Yeah, well, back in 2000, I was working for a technology startup. I was running it, and as the only non-techie there, think first ever iteration of marketing automation mm-hmm. software. And mm-hmm. so, this was a big custom install before we had SaaS. And back then, companies had corporate brochure websites, right. and so they take that information throw it on their new website with the marketing automation backend and say, well, nothing changed. And I've always been a writer. I write fiction for fun. Um, I've studied it for years. I have a degree in English. So anyways, I went out and started looking at their content and thought, well, my God, this is awful. And so I started helping them rewrite it and they started seeing change happen. And so then they started asking me to do more. And in 2007, I realized I could make a very nice living doing something I really loved. And so I jumped and became a consultant, and it's been nonstop ever since. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so let's talk about conversations, because that's really the point of content marketing, is to start engaging the prospect, potential buyer, in a conversation. And as you said, that's, you know, companies use it in past tense, used to have company brochure sites, but it seems like the way a lot of companies execute content marketing, it's still fundamentally brochureware. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a series of unconnected ebooks and white papers, and and there's no there's no through line, there's no story that's you know, engaging that customer in that buying process. 
yep, I would agree. Random acts of content prevail. <laughs> and so, you know, when, in my work with my clients, I work with B2B, mostly enterprise clients, lots of technology companies, because, of course, that's where I made the jump from. But what happens is they think about the next piece they need to get out. They don't think about what's the experience what does it take to actually engage and motivate somebody throughout the entirety of their buying process? And for some of my clients, that can be three years. That's a long time to maintain a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so marketers tend to think about it in campaign boxes, right? Which is a construct we created for ourselves as marketers so we could, you know, theoretically measure what we're doing or prove value to the company or something because no buyer I've ever seen said, give me three touches in a sales pitch. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we think about it in that way. And so we're disconnected with everything because we think about it as, well, we'll create a white paper and then we'll pull out several blog posts from it and then we'll do a webinar on it. And, you know, then that's the end. And now, okay, what's next? You know, and whenever we do that, we stop, completely halt all of the momentum that we've helped establish with the people interested in that topic because we got bored or our construct ran out of steam. And so we changed the conversation and people go, well, wait a minute. I don't care about that. I care about what you were talking about last week. You know, and so we give people this opportunity to reevaluate us and say, I'm no longer interested in you. You're no longer relevant to me. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've helped my clients develop, especially given longer, more complex buying processes, is to think about it as an ongoing conversation. And so, if you think about a conversation, it's really kind of a series of Q&A, you know. So, I'd walk up and say, hi, Andy, how you doing? You'd say, Artith, I'm fine. What's new with you? Well, this is what's going on with me. I heard that you did X the other day. How's that going for you? you know? So, if you think about it, it's a series of Q&A. And so, if when you do and Everybody who knows me knows I'm huge on personas as the foundation for everything so that you know your audience really well and can figure out what they need, what they're interested in, that kind of thing. If you have that foundation, you can, can actually map the different steps they need to take, which in essence are the different informational needs, so the different questions they need answered. Right. And if you think about the different channels you're using as a storytelling medium and you figure out how to connect the dots and continuously evolve that story over time in a way that helps them learn what they need to know to ask the next question and keep going, then you can match context, you can keep engagement, you can help them take next steps, you can also help them have conversations with the other people that are involved in order to get them to consensus. And so it's based on how much you know, but also looking at it as this continuum or continuous conversation that you need to sustain across, you know, the average time it takes somebody to get through all this stuff to make a decision to buy. Right. So one of the things that seems to be sort of a problematic issue is that what I talked about it in the open is that this need to have that conversation flow seamlessly into the sales conversation. Mm -hmm. It seems yep. that it seems like that you know that is one big area of disconnect, right? That, that and I'm sure you've experienced that. I experience it all the time with companies that I work with. Is it's like they're you know, I hate to use the cliched siloed <laughs> metaphor that people talk about, but they are siloed uh, in many respects. And so how how do you how do you work with companies that get them to say, look, yeah, there is this continuum that the customer is going down, this journey that they're on, and at some point 
they're going to reach a point where they need to talk to somebody in sales. And when that first conversation, sales conversations happens, it should be the logical follow on to the last marketing conversation they had. Right. Well, there's a couple of, of things you need to look at here. And the first one is that most marketers are not charged with getting beyond what they call a, a qualified lead or that lead handoff. Right, a marketing so qualified looking, lead. Right. So they're looking at just the beginning of the cycle, right? And then they say, okay, I'm washing my hands. My job is done. The companies that I work with, we involve sales from the beginning in the development of the personas. We get their buy-in. We want to make sure we're generating leads that are people, our salespeople want to engage with, that they're qualified to engage with, um, that we're helping them actually build an account. And so what we're also trying to do is figure out how can we become so very relevant that we could get salespeople into conversations even sooner. You've heard, I'm sure, all the research that says salespeople are getting pushed to the back end, you know, mm -hmm. anywhere from 57% to 90% of the way through the sales cycle before a, a potential buyer will reach out and talk to a vendor salesperson. Right. So, well, we, we want to get them in earlier. But the other thing is, if you take this continuum approach and you're not using these boxed-in campaigns that start and stop and then there's nothing that continues on from them, um, if you take this continuum approach and you're looking at the conversation all the way across, you've got content that allows you to say, here you go, Mr. Salesperson. This lead is is now at a place where we think you can talk to them. This is their last engagement. Here's the next piece of content in that flow and the question that they should be asking next. Oh, and by the way, let us know if that's true so we can update what we know about the mm -hmm. buying process, right? And right. so you're handing it to them. I write about in my book, Digital Relevance, I write about the need for marketers to actually prepare salespeople to use content effectively. So you can throw all the content out there that you want. Salespeople look at it and go, eh, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not sure what it is for. I'm not sure where it goes. How do I insert this in the conversation? We need to be more helpful. They're not going to take time to read all of your content. So we need to provide cheat sheets for them. Right. And say, here's the persona this is for, this is what stage of the buying process it's in, this is what question the content's answering, here's some follow-on pieces that you can also offer them, um, here's a couple of conversational prompts that lead into, you know, talking about the material within the content, you know, here's how you do this. And we've found that it's tremendously helpful for, for salespeople because they're kind of just-in-time type of yeah. people, right? Yeah, so, and, I, and I want to dig into that a little bit later because I think that's a, a great thing to go through that, you know, helping sales understand how to use the content and giving them very explicit advice and, and training about how to do it. So, but one thing that, that seems, go back to a point you'd made before about the, um, you know, what stage the buyer engages with the seller. Why, why is that in your mind, why is that such a controversial figure? Because as many people that will give you the 50 to 75%, which I, I'm, I fall into that camp more often than not, there's also, you know, a, a very large group of people in the sales field that believe that, hey, you know, no, it's all about cold calling and, you know, customers engage, they don't really engage in the buying selling cycle, excuse me, selling process, buying process until the salesperson reaches out to them. So why is that, why is there such a wide gap there? And is it just, you know, because of poor perceptions of marketing or, or what? Well, 
I think there's a couple of things. Number one is just the sheer volume of information that's now freely available, where you used to have to go to the salesperson and say, hey, I want to learn more about this type of solution. And that was the only place you could get the information. Now you can get it anywhere, right? All you have to do is go to Google. And so um, people are self-educating. The problem is, is that the quality of the information they're self-educating themselves with is not always grand, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I found really interesting, um, CEB wrote the Challenger Customer, which came out um, last year. And um, in it, what their research found was that we all know there's 5.4 people or something like that in 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 a a B2B. In a buying committee, right? Buying committee, right. And so, the problem that they found is this complexity and difficulty of getting everybody just to even agree to move forward, right? And so, what they found was these committees reached the height of conflict at 37% of the way through the buying process. Well, if we continue to use CEB stats and we say, okay, but they don't reach out to a salesperson until they're 57% of the way through, how many opportunities are we actually losing because Either number one, marketing is not being relevant. They're not telling a differentiated enough enough story that has your prospects say, hey, we need to go talk to these guys and find out what they're talking about because we can't find this story anywhere else. Right. You know, and then can you get your salesperson in early enough so that they don't go to no decision and walk away and say, we're not moving forward before before they even get to a point where they could, yeah, you know, yeah. and so, so it's all about coordinating all of this. And I don't believe that, a, that salespeople should sit back and say, well, this prospect isn't 57% of the way through, so I'm not going to bother reach out to them. I think if marketing can tell a better story and prep salespeople with that better story, that there's an opportunity to get in sooner because if you're telling a story or you have a thought leadership approach that's different or you're approaching the problem differently than any of your competitors or other options that your buyers have, then they're going to want to get that information and take a new look at everything. So, it's about how you position the story and how you share it and how you can better set up your salespeople to step into those conversations, as you say, seamlessly, right, by following on whatever interaction the buyer had last. But also, I think the thing that we overlook is that I think as marketers and even as salespeople before they're really involved in um, with the buying committee, we tend to look at things still in silos. So, let's say you have three personas. You have Harry, Sally, and David. So, you're going to set up the story for Harry, the story for Sally, and the story for David, and they're going to go down three completely separate tracks, never crossing over. But you know what? Harry and Sally and David have to talk to each other. They're on the committee. They have to reach consensus. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we don't think about what those overlays are, right? How is uh, Harry going to push back on Sally? You know, and how is, what does David need from Harry in order to move forward? All this stuff. We can actually facilitate that if we know what those things are. If we've done our persona work carefully and learned about the dynamics of that committee. And we can also arm our salespeople to be able to help whoever they can break in with to facilitate those conversations with others. And so I look at it almost like uh, marketing could be a Trojan horse where we're getting our ideas in the room, even if our salesperson isn't yet there, so that we're our ideas are the ones that are driving those conversations. That gives us a 
much bigger chance of being the one they're going to call first to say, hey, come talk to us about this. And this has played out in projects I've worked on for clients where a salesperson has been trying to get it in touch with somebody who's been really active in our lead nurturing and they wouldn't return calls, wouldn't return calls. And finally, they called the salesperson and said, I'm ready to speak with you. And when the salesperson got there, the prospect pulled out an article he printed off from our nurture series and said, okay, tell me how I get this for my company <laughs> and pointed at it, you know, right. and ended up, the salesperson ended up with a $5 million deal. So, you know, it can be very successful if it's done well, but we look at it in fragments and chunks. We approach our channels as one-offs instead of connected stories. Right, and, so let's, let's sort of go down the list here before I take a break and, and sort of summarize what I've said so far for people. Is one is start with defining who that persona is of or are actually multiple, multiple personas of people that you're going to be selling to that are in the decision loop that are the ideal customer profile for you. As you said, you're really big on that. That's really the starting point where you're going to embark from. And then you should, unless it's a brand new product, you, you'll have some sense of what the buyer's journey is. You should have some historical knowledge or experiential knowledge based on that, that you can then map out and you know, hop in here. I'm summarizing. You can then map yep. out you know, each step of the way, what information, what knowledge, what value they're going to need from you differentiated way that helps them take that next step in their buyer's journey. Yep. You and then, got it. And then, tra- <laughs> oh, thank you. I can, hey, and then, uh, tr- you know, translate that to the point of said, as you said, try to work this. And I, I believe this too, is that, you know, if you can front load the value as much as possible to the point you're making about getting the salesperson in front of the customer sooner, if you've got well-trained reps, well-armed reps, then, they have an advantage at that point if they're first in the door, all the research finds, that they have a real advantage at that point in terms of winning the deal. Yep, that's true. And, you know, there's a big opportunity right now because Forrester recently talked to executive buyers and 62% of them said the content they get from marketing is useless from vendors. Well, and so, and they said so that 80% we, of the sales reps are useless too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, if we can improve on those things by sharing knowledge, I, I can't ever figure out why sales and marketing are at odds to begin with. I mean, I know there's different measurements on performance and, you know, things like that. But if we're all really, truly after the same goal, which is driving growth and revenues, then, you know, it doesn't make any sense that we're not all working together to share this knowledge and help each other be successful. Well, especially now that there's all this data that's available to Mm -hmm. marketing to be able to measure the impact. I mean, back in the old days, you know, throw out some ads, you weren't really sure what the return you were getting on them was, but or a direct mail piece. But but now, gosh, you have detailed information on every single piece of content you send that's available, that's being touched, every email, every communication, that if I was a salesperson, I'd be living in marketing to find out what's going on, what's happening, what's working, and what they could do to help me. Right, and vice versa, you know, and so marketing needs to chase sales and say, okay, give me feedback. How did this content work out in your conversation? You know, what are you hearing from the buyers that we can maybe address, you know, are there questions that we could be answering with content that would help you get in that conversation faster, you know? where are they wavering? What kind of pushback are you getting? You know, we need to, and we ask all of that stuff when we develop personas, but then quite often what happens is the personas get in, you know, go on the 
the shared folder and sit there and we don't revisit them again where stuff changes. I mean, today faster than ever. So we need to continuously update that. But the thing that people forget is there's never perfection. So even if you do the best job ever in creating your personas, you still have to take those insights turn them into something, get it out there and say, were we right? Is this effective? You know, and then how could it be more effective? There needs to be continuous improvement processes in place always. Okay, well, good. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back, continue the conversation about marketing sales alignment, content marketing with my guest, Ardith Albee. Be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. All right, we're back with Ardith Albee. We've been talking about content marketing, marketing sales alignment, starting the conversation. Um, Interesting question for you is at least something that sort of occurred to me is so one of the the statistics you cite in your writing is that a study by McKinsey that uh, 56% of all customer interactions happening during a multi-event, multi-channel journey. So certainly understand that in terms of prior to sales engagement, but then, you know, once you have sales engaged, is the customer still then independently tapping these, you know, additional sources that you might have through marketing, or are they funneling everything through sales? I mean, what are you seeing is is happening? I mean, do they sort of, once they get involved with sales, marketing backs off, or are they still engaging? Well, that's kind of a a cultural thing. So I've worked with clients where as soon as sales takes over a lead and is in contact, marketing is not allowed to talk to them, which I think is stupid, quite frankly, and and a waste of opportunity because salespeople are busy and your buyers aren't going to stop looking for information if a question comes up. Exactly. You know, this is when all the what if stuff, what if it doesn't work? What if the users won't adopt it? You know, or my boss is asking for X and they're, you know, starting to say no and how do I get them the answers and you know all that kind of stuff so they're going to go look and if all of a sudden you stop providing the rest of that story and somebody else is now what happens you know so I think we have to continue and that's why I talk about it as a continuum and in my book I talk about it just through the buying process but even after they become customers so it should be a never-ending infinite loop right oh yeah but (laughs) but I mean I think marketing can provide a tremendous amount of support and assistance to salespeople by keeping um you know, the buyers in the nurturing program in the process and just keep make sure that your salespeople are updated on what they're interacting with and what they've received so that they don't walk into a conversation and get blindsided, you know, but I think you have to continue to answer those questions and really what happens towards the end in a lot of the projects I work on are the executives that aren't involved in the evaluation and, you know, much of the process all have to come in at the final decision and they may or may not know about your company. They may or may not you know, understand the value you bring to the table. 
And so you need to be arming the people that you can be in touch with, with that information that they can pass along, as well as your salespeople who can bring it into the room, because they're going to be the ones who finally meet with those top execs who are making the decisions, at least on the big dollar deals, which are a lot of the ones I work on. But, you know, I mean, we don't pay a lot of attention to that in marketing because we figure that sales job. But if we're orchestrating this story, we need to orchestrate the whole story. And well, make and it think, all fit together. Right. And that's really the key thing you're talking about, it's story, because you know, when you look at within an, or a larger opportunity is what is going to be more memorable for the people that have the opportunity or the responsibility, the mobilizers, as I talk about in the, the customer, uh, the challenger customer, excuse me, is what do they need to be able to communicate internally about the solution that they're evaluating? And a story is much more compelling and memorable than facts or figures. And so if, if marketing is involved and has created the story and you then have a responsibility to educate other people within the organization, well, that story is going to be much more inspiring than less dry facts and figures. Right. But here's the problem you run into with story in a lot of ways. They get the hero mixed up. And so for a lot of marketers and companies who are still mostly product oriented, who's the hero of their story? Well, they it's are. going to be the the product, yeah, right. or them. They're going to come in and save the day. Woo, you know. And, but the real hero of the story is your buyer. You know, they're the ones that have an objective they need to achieve or an obstacle they need to overcome. And they're going to need help along the way, which brings you in as the, in the role of mentor. So, easiest way to think about that is Cinderella and the fairy godmother, right? How'd she get to the ball and how'd she get all the stuff she needed to go to the ball that, with the help from the fairy godmother. So, in essence, that's the role we play in trying to make sure they have the information, the understanding, the knowledge transfer that they need in order to make an informed decision and choose you for bringing the highest value. And so... That's, that's a lot of the problem with storytelling, but the other problem that I see marketers have is that they aren't realistic about who they can reach. So, in nearly every project I walk into, there's a C-level persona on the board. Nine times out of ten, we find out that C-level persona is not involved in any kind of marketing communications where we can reach them effectively. They'll be involved on the sales side, but not and anything marketing can do. So it's silly to create a persona that you can't really do anything with. But marketers do it all the time and then they're sending out all this information that's not doing them any good because it's not reaching and engaging anyone because the C-level doesn't care. It's not strategic enough for them at this point. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to make sure we do is make sure that we address kind of in a mini persona way the information that that C-level executive is going to need from our salespeople during that conversation, or that we can pass that information along through one of the people we can reach who's evaluating, you know, solving the problem and, and the options to do it um, so that they can pass it along to that C-level exec and help them become aware of the value we bring. But we have to be reasonable about who can we impact, how can we impact them, and how else can the person we can reach and engage spread our story throughout their organization and so if we can figure those things out and a lot of the times we figure it out with the help of our salespeople who have actually been in these organizations and seen how a lot of the information can spread then we can work together to do it so there's additional set of challenges though that increasingly especially with the growing prevalence of inside sales even in large complex sales where mm -hmm. 
lot of face to faces as face to face is virtual as opposed to in presence. Um, mm-hmm. How's that change, if at all, what marketing needs to do relative to the content they provide? Because it seems like some content uh, might be more effective presented in person versus virtually or whatever. What are you finding in that? Well, I have, and I'll give you an example. I have one client who, very strong inside sales team, and Every month, the content that we create for the prospects they're going to either speak with or work to qualify or whatever, we have a meeting, and they are responsible for having read the content and coming up with ideas about how they're going to use that information and conversations to engage the prospects or buyers they need to call. And what their job is is to really um, be that bridge between marketing and the salespeople. So, Mm -hmm. they'll set up the the appointments for the sales team. Um, And so we go through whole meetings where we all brainstorm and they talk about it and they get to the point where they can converse on the topic very, very well. And so what the outcome is, of course, they're having much better conversations, but they also know because we've given them those cheat sheets that I talked about, which follow on content they can provide. Hey, since you love this piece of content, I'm going to send you this white paper on X and it's going to help extend your knowledge into this area and blah, 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 whatever. But they've been very much more effective in getting buyers involved and actually converting them into meetings for the sales team. And that's a function of how do you operationalize content in different ways. So, in this case, it's a lot of conversation and then it's, okay, let me provide this to you so you can just sit down and read it when you have time to think about it. But you've already discussed it with them, you know. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for sharing that information about uh, content marketing. We're going to move to the last segment of our show, which is got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And, and the first one is, is really a hypothetical scenario is in this scenario, you're the hero, and you've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have sort of stalled out. So, and they're really anxious to get things unstuck and going in the right direction again. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Two things. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is talk to salespeople and customers to learn all about what's going on and the value we bring and all of that. And the second thing I'm going to do is figure out how to tell a bigger story. I like it. Because obviously we're not telling a good enough story if our sales are floundering. Right. So how do you define what's a bigger story? Well, um, one example is a, a client project that I'm working on now where they're they're having trouble getting more traction and they'd like to change that. And so what we've done, given the persona work and the rest of it, is sat back and said, okay, here's the story you're telling today. Here's the limitations around it. Here's where it could be. Do we have the expertise to support telling this bigger story? And what we found out is, yeah, we do. Nobody mm-hmm. had ever thought about it because it's something we all knew internally. They didn't realize they weren't really telling it externally. And so now we're evolving it into a bigger story, which is already drawing traction because people are going, oh, 
well, why didn't you just say so? You know what I mean? It's like a light bulb. They finally got to that light bulb moment, you know? And so now it's kind of a race to how do we create content to support this story and get it out there and, you know, capitalize on this before anybody goes, oh, that's great. I want to tell that story too. Yeah, you know? yeah it was differentiated. Absolutely. That's a great idea. Okay. Well, good. So now I've got just a handful of sort of rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. The first one is when you're selling yourself, your company services, what's your most powerful sales asset? You personally? Um, probably how bold I am. I don't pull my punches, and so people know exactly where they stand with me, and I challenge them to maybe solve a bigger problem than they thought they needed to. Love it. Who's your sales role model? Jill Conrath. Mine too. <laughs> What's the one book every salesperson should read? I'm going to say Agile Selling by Jill Conrath. Yeah, it's, it's a good book as well. Uh, if you're not going to choose mine, you might as well choose hers. Um, <laughs> here's tough, Sorry. Here's, that's okay. Here's the tough question. Is So what music's on your playlist right now? Adele. Adele, of course. Love it. <laughs> All right, last question for you. What's what's the first sales activity you do every day? Mm, catch up on social media. And which one's most effective for you? Twitter and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And it's because, because I sell to marketers. So. Right. Yeah. And they're going to be there. Well, good. Well, Artith, I want to thank you for spending the time with us. The guest today, Artith Albee, how can people find out more about you? Uh, they can go to my website, which is marketinginteractions.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at artith421. All right. Well, thank you again very much. And uh, friends, remember, make it a part of your day every day to do just what you did here is to learn something new to help you accelerate your success. One easy way to do that is listen to those podcasts, make it part of your daily routine on your commute, in the gym, or maybe make it part of your morning sales huddle. Because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Ardeth Albee, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. 